I'm feeling kind of lonely too, if you don't mind. Can I sit down here beside you? Oh yeah, alright. If I seem to come on too strong, I hope that you will understand. I say these things cause I'd like to know if you're as lonely as I am. And if you'd mind sharing the night together. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Discourse, the show where we discuss film and television news, reviews, or any other pertinent pop culture items in the zeitgeist that we feel the need to weigh in on. I'm Ryan Oliver, and today with me I have a very special guest. He is the editor-in-chief and founder of TheSpool.net. He is a senior writer at Consequences Sound, and he is the host of More of a Comment, Really, Hall of Faces, and Nathan Raven's Happy Cast. Clint Worthington, welcome to The Discourse. Thanks so much for having me on. So happy to have you on, and I, I have to thank you. You did this wonderful piece uh, over the week at uh, Consequence of Sound, ranking all the cold opens uh, th- of Breaking yeah. Bad, and uh, your piece and the response to your piece was actually the inspiration for us talking about what we're going to be talking about today. So, like that, th- thank you. No, of course. I'm glad to hear there was a response. Sometimes it's kind of hard to figure out whether, you know, because it's a 6,000 word piece. I literally wrote all of that that day. So uh, <laughs> I did a bunch of research beforehand. But yeah, the actual writing of it was just sort of like I spent an entire day doing that. So it's nice to hear that, like, people are reading it. Well, yeah, absolutely. And that's that's impressive in and of itself. But um, as, as listeners probably already guessed, I'm sure you already saw when you click the podcast link, we are going to be talking about El Camino, a Breaking Bad movie that dropped on Netflix. Uh, a Breaking so- Bad story, thank you very much. Oh, right? yeah. It, is it? I thought it was Breaking I think, Bad. Or maybe, or maybe, am I thinking of a Star Wars story? I think you're thinking of Star <laughs> Wars. <laughs> yeah, it is Breaking Bad movie, but that's, that's I, I was going to make See, I would joke. love to see those. Like <laughs> That would be great if they did more. Yeah, and we can definitely dive into it for sure. I think we're going to be getting into it. I should it probably here. retitle my review then. I think, I, <laughs> I think I'm reading my review for referencing. It's definitely that that's in the headlines. So, that's amazing. Uh, maybe you picked the wrong Breaking Bad expert. <laughs> well, uh, we'll see. We'll see as this episode progresses whether or not that is correct or not. Yeah. But a couple uh, items of housekeeping before we get into the episode proper. Uh, as always, the discourse is a part of the Playlist Podcast Network. So if you enjoy the show, be sure to subscribe to us via your podcatcher of choice, be it iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Anchor FM, uh, and you'll get this show as well as our other programs, including the Fourth Wall, Be Real indie beat and the other various things that pop up on our feed from time to time a couple other items one thing we should mention at the top um a little bit more sad news is uh robert forster uh, the great character actor robert forster who's who makes an appearance in uh el camino uh passed away this last week on friday at the age of 78 and um that was both sad and really surreal watching that movie that morning and then reading the news later in the day that he had passed away yeah it's really rare for an actor to die a beloved actor no less um on the day one of his greatest performances gets released to the public you know it's it's, you know we would we would have been talking about robert forster that day even if he hadn't died you know what i mean like people just talking about how good i mean yes it's reprising a role from breaking bad but he gets a really great moment to shine and i feel like as as kind of a button on what is a very long, illustrious, and winding career, I think it's a really good note to go out on, for lack of a better word. Absolutely. So, no, rest in peace, and 
you will be missed, Robert Forster. And then the last thing I will mention at the top before we get into the episode proper, uh, as usual with these films, we do a non-spoiler and then a spoiler section uh, for the movie. We will likely do the same with El Camino. However, um, it is inevitable we will be spoiling the entirety of the Breaking Bad series uh, leading up to this discussion. So if you haven't seen Breaking Bad, if you're in the midst of binge-watching it on Netflix in anticipation for this movie, uh, we're going to be spoiling it. So maybe just best to skip this episode uh until you've caught up also um, if you haven't watched all of breaking bad don't watch el camino i promise you it is not for you no it's not it's yeah. not a quote-unquote standalone movie it is very much a continuation of the series you will be lost and confused if you have not watched the series <laughs> yeah it is yeah. it is like a God, I hate the term, but like, would, like a for fans only. Be the, <laughs> it's the a love phrase. letter to the fans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but it, but it, it certainly it certainly fits because it, there's all the context is in the series there, so it will not play well if you have not watched the series. Um, but yeah, let's let's go ahead and dive into it. So I imagine that um, because of that, the piece you did about all the cold opens, uh, you rewatched the entire series recently. Is that correct? Actually, um, pushes up glasses. I uh, fun fact. I decided because you know a to save time and b because I thought it would be an interesting experiment. And I sort of mentioned it in the intro to the piece. I just watched the cold opens. I watched the cold oh. opens from beginning to end, and I had seen the entire series before, so I could pick up on context clues. Um, because a lot of the cold opens are they're sort of divided into two camps. There's the ones that are like you know filling in gaps in the plot and all that stuff, and then there's the ones that are like explicitly thematic and kind of operate on their own, which is what the inspiration for the piece anyway. It was mostly just like remembering that narco corrido like mariachi ballad of Heisenberg song in season two, and be like, man. Like, Breaking Bad did all of these. Like, they revolutionized the way you used cold opens. And so I wanted to, like, see what it was like to just view the Breaking Bad universe through these standalone, almost, like, experimental short films that happen at the beginning of each episode and see what snapshot of the story you get there. And it's surprisingly complete for for what it's worth. Absolutely. That's that's incredible. And so even even with that and those fresh in your mind, I mean, that's still a more refresher than I did uh, leading up to this. I haven't watched the series probably since it ended, but Mm -hmm. um, I guess more back to that point uh, before we even dive into it more uh, in typical breaking bad fashion, even though I think there's a lot of differences in El Camino, the movie does start with a cold open. Uh, Yeah. It would not be breaking bad if it didn't. Um, Where, where do you find, like, where do you find where the cold open for El Camino uh, landed? In the ranking, like in the ranking, or just like how it it, it lives up to the the cold opens in the series. Um, yeah, it, it's like, kind of interesting because El Camino does something that I don't to my to my recollection, Breaking Bad as a series didn't do, which was like having conversations with dead people. You know that sort of you know standard device. You know, and you know it begins with Jesse sort of talking to Mike about what he's gonna do, and it's very clearly him sort of like wrestling with his own thoughts about all this other stuff because you know it's it's not like it doesn't take place in the past you know mike is clearly dead and he's taught well i guess i don't remember if uh, jesse ever found out that mike died died but i know he was lied to about him dying but um it is a really it's a really interesting note to start the film on and i think it's a really important one because it is slower and i think it's a good signpost that 
this isn't going to be like an action spectacular. This is a more meditative kind of thing. It has its sort of survival Western moments, but like it's much more of a downbeat character exploration of Jesse and revisiting him and what happens to him afterwards. And I think that was one of the most um, surprising things for me going like uh, upon finishing it is how meditative and how much more introspective it is and how it, um, you know, it, it's, it's not very fan servicey for lack of a better term. Like I feel like there, there's a lot of familiar characters, like you just mentioned, Mike that do pop up through the movie, whether it is in various flashbacks or in the present day, but they all feel very pertinent to Jesse's journey. Like it doesn't cut to anybody who had nothing to do with his arc. Um, yeah. Which, like which Saul would, doesn't show up. In that kind right. Of or, or, Skylar White, like like people right. who who are not not like super important to his arc. So I, I I kind of admired the restraint. But um one thing I am hearing people talk about, and it's it's kind of a shitty word, but it's something that that you're hearing about is the word um, unnecessary, and that <laughs> that seemed to be being tossed around both prior to the film. I'm seeing it a little bit now, um, even two days after the release, as the time of this recording. Um, necessary unnecessary whatever label you want to call it what what did you ultimately as a fan of the series what did you ultimately just feel as uh, of el camino as just a, a piece of work and and how it fit into the series yeah that's a good question um first of all i do want to point out that i agree with you i think the word unnecessary when it comes to like whether or not a movie or a work of art exists is so arbitrary i hate when people trot out that word because no art is truly necessary like because if if you break down like what is necessary what is unnecessary the the lines become so blurred that it basically doesn't matter and the word necessary often comes in in regards to like franchises or series like i guess breaking bad slots into this like i i think that I think one of the reasons it doesn't feel as fan servicey as it could, even though it is very sort of inclusionary and for Breaking Bad fans only, is because it feels less um, born of fan, you know, sort of uproar than it is Vince Gilligan and maybe Aaron Paul just really having this itch that they needed to scratch. And they're like, we need to know what happened to Jesse Pinkman. And yes, it is kind of this, I think, as an epilogue, as its own isolated thing. I think it is is very necessary. I think it plays I think it slots nicely into the themes of Breaking Bad. I mean, I know Breaking Bad is ostensibly it's the Walter White story, um, but I think there is such a rich tapestry, um, four seasons of Better Call Saul have proven that, um, in this world that we can dovetail into other things. I mean, I feel like El Camino is unnecessary the same way Better Call Saul is unnecessary. We don't know we don't need to know why Saul Goodman, why, how Jimmy McGill, how Jimmy McGill became Saul Goodman. Sorry, but um, it's rewarding to watch. And I think the same thing applies to Jesse's post escape, you know, flee to freedom. I, I would agree whether like, you know, again, necessary, whatever you want to call it, that it, it plays super well. And, and it is interesting. Like you said, um, I wanted to touch on what you said about the like lack of fan uproar. Cause breaking bad, as far as I can tell is one of the few, series to reach that level of acclaim and that level of um just week to week watching sitting on the edge of your seat wondering what's going to happen and not have a super divisive ending right um yeah like that's that's the thing is is it it's uh the ending is 
usually to the scene is pretty satisfying, which is rare for a series like that. Usually it's, it's more polarizing. Um, but yeah, like you said, Vince Gilligan and or Aaron Paul decided there was more uh, to tell with Jesse and, and it is definitely an epilogue. And what I, and to me, I, I feel like even though, yes, it is the Walter White show, this, the series was, Paul is, I think is every bit as good or at least close to as good as um, Brian Cranston is throughout that entire series. And so I think this is a really nice showcase for him. I think it's a really, you know, it fits in very well with the themes of Breaking Bad about about choice and, and sort of making your bed and laying in it. I know they talk, they even talk about that in the cold open of this with, with Mike of like, Oh, that's something, something you can never do is make things right. You can get out of town as far away as fast as you can, but you'll never make it right. And so I think that plays a lot with that. It delves a lot into a lot of trauma that he, mm-hmm. he suffered in captivity in that final season. And I think a lot of that stuff is poignant. I will say at first the, the film um, for people listening, it relies pretty heavily on a flashback structure, and a lot of it at first. I'm kind of tiptoeing around things here, yeah. but I know you you know what I'm talking about. Oh yeah. At yeah. first, it felt like merely just flashbacks to enforce plot that's happening in the present. Like how do how did this thing happen for Jesse to go do this thing? And that was admittedly a little frustrating at the start but then when it sort of reveals it to be more the flashbacks to be more like how he is the emotional state that he's in and the like heavy guilt that he's feeling uh for the things that he's done um it becomes very very poignant i think by the end um but i'll admit that structure was a little bit jarring at first I, I agree, but then it also it opened up for me when I realized it gave Aaron Paul especially a chance to show us the different Jessies we've seen over the years. Like, it's it's remarkable to think about, you know, we just talked about how it's the Walter White show, but it is kind of, Breaking Bad is about how Walter White always kind of had Heisenberg in him all along, and these set of circumstances sort of lowered his inhibitions and, like, gave him the opportunity to let this, like, sort of true self out. Whereas Jesse's arc in Breaking Bad is he, he's this very he's very much actually shaped by the traumas and the experiences that that happened to him throughout the course of the show and, and the effects that it has on him. And I think El Camino gives us a really good chance to see that because, I mean, in the A plot of El Camino, Jesse is this resolute sort of trauma, you know, trauma ridden guy. But he is he is on a mission and he is ready to do literally anything it takes to survive. He is on his own. Um, but we get flashbacks to, you know, earlier points in the show and um, we get to see, we get, you know, sort of fill in the cracks in the way that like the best cold opens did in the story. And it's amazing to see how Aaron Paul's able to six years on not just do like, you know, go back to Jesse Pinkman after the end of the show, but to see like mid season five Jesse Pinkman or even season two Jesse Pinkman right. and slot into that so organically. Yeah, no, it's it's a it it can't be understated how much of an impressive performance that that Paul gives here and how it is such a nice showcase for him to to you know do it sans his co-lead and I think that's that's one of the strengths of this film for sure. Yeah. Um I'm, I think I'm... there's an interesting subtext to considering Aaron Paul's career trajectory too because after Breaking Bad, he did have his big shot at becoming a, a movie star. 
And uh, unfortunately, it was another movie that was centered around a car. <laughs> and uh, and it was Need for Speed. <laughs> and I, I have a little bit of affection for that movie. I think people did write it off as just a Fast and Furious clone. But there is a lot of really interesting – there's some interesting stuff that happens in there. There's a really good cast. Rami Malek's in it yeah, um, as one of his sidekicks. Yeah. yeah, and Imogen Poots and Kid Cudi. Like – um, yeah, and my cat is here, and uh, <laughs> Michael Keaton is there. He's just like a, a an outre, you know, like DJ guy. Um, but like that flopped, and he sort of languished a little bit. There was like that, and some other movie that didn't really do all that well, or didn't. Yeah, it was like Exodus, Gods and Kings. I think he was in. Oh, and, that's right, right, and like who who would cast him in a sword and sandals thing? But I digress. But he did sort of languish a little bit. And, yeah, he had a bit of a bump up with, like, BoJack. But that is kind of a voice role. It's He's not really the face of it as much. And so it's nice to see him doing this. And, then of course, he's going to be in the new season of Westworld. So it's really cool to see him kind of bounce back. And I feel like I can't help but feel as though it's so nice to see Aaron Paul back as it is to see Jesse Pinkman back. And it feels oddly like they're on similar journeys in El Camino. That's a good point. Cause I haven't really thought about his, like I remember need for speed and I remember seeing that movie and I think he Who was could in... forget need for speed. I know, it was a masterpiece. <laughs> it was such a great movie. No, no, but it did have like, like you said, it does have an interesting cast. And I remember having to do, a blu-ray review for that movie um and they did they did a lot of practical stunt work with the cars and i think Mm -hmm. that was that was something that really impressed me i i don't remember exodus as much even though i know i saw it Uh, he was also in it wasn't advertised he was in central intelligence too i believe Um, oh really yeah (laughs) i mean and that was a big hit but um but i don't even think he was it it was sort of like a character reveal later on so he wasn't even really marketed and then he had didn't he have that show on hulu it was called the path yeah that's right yeah so he kind of just like went back to tv which was kind of his true home you know right right so no it's nice it's nice to have him back and and that's that's kind of a lot of how i feel after this where i i didn't know i kind of didn't know how i felt about you know i don't think it was un unnecessary but i don't know how i felt about them doing this this movie but afterwards i'm like you know what that was quite good and i'm just happy to have aaron paul back right Um, i think it's unnecessary if you're viewing it through the lens of do I need this to understand the plot of Breaking Bad? But if that's your only barometer for what's necessary, I think that's really boring. That is a boring argument for yeah. sure. Um, do we want to – do you have any other thoughts that are a bit non-spoilery or do we want to dive into some spoilers for Um We could talk about how the look is different, which oh, is yeah. interesting. It um, is. Look, it's shot in scope. Um, yeah. Which, on and... digital as opposed to Breaking Bad, which was like one of the few big modern TV shows to still shoot on 35 mil. Absolutely, and it was, and, and it's a different DP. I, I forget who did it, but it's not Michael Slovis. Um, yeah, who, yeah, who something, it. something Adams or something like that. Yeah, but it, it still looks good. Like it still yeah. looks every bit of Breaking Bad. Oh, and that's the other, I guess, no, like non-spoiler thing I wanted to mention. Not only the look, but like even though it is more introspective and it doesn't bounce around through different character arcs like the series did, even though it was primary Walter, like we would go back and forth between different characters. It doesn't do that here. It, it keeps the scope on Jesse, but everything that you liked about breaking bad, like the beautiful locales, montages, gallows humor time lapses like all of that is very much present in oh El yeah Camino. there is a time lapse where he is searching for a thing in an apartment and you oh, see this so top good. down god's eye view cross section of him going through this place 
it's it's remarkable. It's one of the best shots in the thing. I think people underestimate how good Vince Gilligan is at visual storytelling. He's so good. Like, he's one of the best, you know, you mentioned, like, how the cold open was such a, a pioneer in modern television. Like, his just storytelling overall is, is sort of, I feel, shaped what we view as prestige TV and, and sort of what other shows are trying to achieve. Like, it's it's, his visual storytelling is incredible, and I'm surprised that he hasn't, I mean, if he doesn't want to, he doesn't have to, but I'm surprised he hasn't, like, moved his way into film. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's strange. Yeah, I know. And then even the, the sonic landscape of Breaking Bad. I mean, Dave Porter's back to do that wonderful sort of clicky ambient score that works so well. Uh, I was actually, when I was writing this, I was listening to the Breaking Bad, like, score, because I listen to a lot of soundtracks and stuff, and it's very minimalist. It's like, you know, it's definitely not, like, easy listening. I wouldn't listen to it on, like, a, a run or anything, but it's it works very well for its context. And then, of course, those great needle drops that are just such a wonderful signpost for Breaking Bad. Like, uh, spending, the ni- spending the Night Together is a really great example of that one oh, in El so Camino. Good. Yeah. No, it's it was... It was nice to revisit this world and to, and it to feel welcoming. It, it doesn't feel like uh, like oh we're we're reinventing the wheel here. It's like no, yeah. this is this is a break. It's a Breaking Bad movie or Breaking Bad story, whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah, yeah, for They're sure. They're playing with a few new toys. Is all is like the digital filmmaking and the scope, which felt more like they wanted to capture more of this like Western feel that is absolutely like on the page in El Camino. Like they want to do like the Sergio Leone kind of standoffs and like the landscapes and everything. Absolutely. Well, there's a literal standoff. In the oh movie, yeah. Which maybe, maybe is a good time to pivot into, into spoilers. So uh, yeah, if you haven't seen El Camino, both of us recommend it. Check it out. It is on Netflix, but for the remainder of this conversation, we're going to dive into some spoilers for it. Spoilers, um, bitch. <laughs> That standoff scene towards the end is like, oh my god. I was literally gripping the edge of my couch during that (laughs) scene. (laughs) Because we had spent so much time, again, as as good as it is towards Jesse's journey, we had spent so much time in flashbacks with characters who we already know what their fate is. And so... Um, as good as that stuff is, like I, I was invested, but haven't just never felt that intensity until that moment. Um, towards the, actually, that's not true. I felt some of that at the beginning, but that but not that's... like with Jesse because Jesse there is a full on gunslinger, and it feels like the end point to this sort of series of traumas he's been through. Because so much of Breaking Bad was about how um, reticent he was to commit violence, you know, like so much of that, and you actually see a little bit of that too, like. Uh, if I hadn't done the cold open thing, I wouldn't have clocked the callback that happens outside of that that building where he picks up the bug and doesn't kill it. Because that's a callback to, I think it's season two, the episode where he goes to confront the meth heads with the ATM machine. Oh, and it yeah. opens on him seeing this bug on the street and not killing it. And it, sim- it symbolizes that, that reticence he has to take life and to commit violence and to do these dirty deeds he has to do as part of this life now cut to El Camino and it's not that he's like a gunslinging badass but he is much more comfortable with it now and maybe that's tragic in its own way yeah absolutely but he's willing to do whatever he needs to do to be able to start over to finally take up the offer that he was given in was it season five the chance to start over yeah because we didn't see Robert Forster until season five of that show I think right because it's the how is it the beginning of 
season five part two um, I think so. Where Walt is is because at the end of this movie, not to jump around too much, but right. the end of this movie takes place at that same uh, Canadian border that Walter White went to to start his new life, um, where Jesse ultimately ends up. So I think that's where we first are introduced to Robert Forster's character. I could be wrong, but that that feels right. And then Jesse was offered the same chance, and he didn't take it, um, which which leads to um, an amazingly tense humorous <laughs> like scene where he uh, Jesse confronts Robert Forster's character and he he gives him enough money to his fee essentially to go start a new life and he said no this is what you owe me from previously from yeah. when you didn't take it uh, and he which, is cool as a cucumber during that entire oh my scene God. it's so great it's it, it's so both just a testament to how amazing forster is and to how amazing it's not jesse's movie anymore for those 10 minutes no no and that's the thing is like watching jesse somebody who has been so determined and so just needing to do what he needs to do throughout the movie and he's been fairly commanding with the exception of a few things until that scene where it's like you have no you do not have the upper hand here like you watch him try to have the upper hand for 10 minutes and it's just like Oh man, quit while you're behind. It's just like uncomfortable to watch, but it's also very humorous and and just ends with an amazing like <laughs> calling <laughs> the a... cops and Jesse's like I'm calling your bluff. Okay, well. Yeah, I, I don't think there's a bigger laugh line in the movie than got to love that response time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's so it's, good. It's so damn good. Um uh I did want to go back to what what one of the things I found fascinating after that flashback structure, I know I mentioned it was a little frustrating at the start, um, mainly because it, it was so focused on Todd. It was so focused on mm-hmm. that, um, like you already mentioned, like the the back half of season five filling in those gaps. And at first, when it first they were going through it, uh, Todd takes Jesse out uh, for a day to help him run some errands including a cleaning lady that he had killed yeah. in his in Todd in his psychopathic sociopathic ways of like I don't really want to talk about just downplaying the fact that there's a dead body in his apartment yeah. but it's it's one of those things where I'm like okay like I know the fate of this character uh this is amusing this is entertaining why are we still like why are why are we backtracking this other than to find that there's this money in Todd's apartment that Jesse's trying to get but then it really comes together for me when they go bury the the landlady and Jesse pulls the gun out of his glove compartment mm-hmm. and has the opportunity to shoot Todd and flee. And that same beaten down trauma coupled with that resistance to commit violence. And the fact that Todd talks, not like could take the gun from talks him down from it, could take the gun, shoot Jesse and dump him in the same grave that they just put this cleaning lady. Um, and, and the fact that Todd doesn't do that, whether that, whether that's the fact that Uncle Jack would be mad about that, or whether or not he actually had in that moment a brief flash of empathy, but I feel like that's such a strength that adds to Jesse's trauma because we know he choked Todd to death at the series finale, and so even though that character certainly deserved it. I feel like that adds a layer of like, oh, this person was nice to me for at least a second, and he could have killed me uh, when he had the chance, and he didn't. And so I feel like that that was a, a layer that I did not expect. 
Right. It was a nice way to circle back around to what Jesse's trauma did to him. Because we also see the extent to which we didn't see it all that much during his captivity. Like, was we didn't get that much of it. But um, just seeing the ways in which he psychologically and as a person was broken down. Like, he's effectively Todd's pet. And I feel like Todd treats him as such. Like, I think Todd does think that he likes Jesse. I think that he thinks that they're friends. It's just that his mind is so messed up that, like, that's what a friend looks like to him. Um, So, like, the offer of pizza and beer, I think, is genuine in Todd's screwed up mind. So, um, seeing the extent to which he has been broken down, Jesse has, and and then seeing the ways in which he's able to overcome it by – achieving these goals in the present like it feel it feels like those flashbacks are necessary because those are the things he's really fighting to escape and we need to be reminded of that that's a good point and that 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 became clearer as they progressed and then that sort of any sort of hesitation or trepidation i had with it sort of disappeared as as it became uh, as we went and also further. without them the movie would have been 45 minutes long <laughs> that is true that is a good po- like you can't this the story that they wrote you can't do without the the flashbacks and um yeah. but well, i introduced that- a whole new set of villains too that they have to defeat for this one movie because i don't think we heard about candy welding before did we no i i, I was it was driving me nuts and i wanted to that was the next thing i was gonna bring up because the when he sees him outside after they split the money in Todd's apartment. And he's like, I was wondering when you were going to recognize me. And I'm like, (laughs) I don't recognize you. (laughs) (laughs) Frantically searching Wikipedia. Like, I think I Googled uh, candy welding breaking bad. And then I saw a bunch of other people being like, I had to Google it too. And I'm like, Oh, this is just for this movie. Like, because, and maybe that's one of the reasons why people think it feels unnecessary or whatever. It's like, oh, because we had to invent a whole new set of baddies for him to defeat because all the other loose ends are tied up. It's literally just what happens to Jesse afterwards that they wanted to answer. True, but I, I that that is, but even then, I don't think it's like unnecessary because that's 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 the plot, but not the story. <laughs> so I'm I, I exactly. didn't mind, I didn't mind yeah. that. Uh, I was like, oh, I don't recognize you, but okay, whatever. That's that's fine. Let's just roll with this. Right, that they're able to infuse even those characters with so much character in such short amount of time. I think it's a real testament to like Breaking Bad is such good is so good at economical storytelling. Right, that we feel like we've seen those two characters who uh, Jesse confronts in the apartment, we feel like we've seen them for at least a season, you know? Mm -hmm. And I feel like it's necessary to add to the, the tension filled scene in the apartment too, because they come in dressed as cops. Yeah. And so that's such a great reveal too. It's, it's, it's incredible. Um, And, and it's, it helps because we don't recognize them. And so we come in and we're like, wait, are they cops or aren't they like there's there's an actual there's so many little hints because i watched it twice and yeah there's so many little hints like the uh like the fact that calling the other guy lieutenant is the thing that tips him off right you know or the are you kidding me after they after they pin down jesse those kinds of things like all these little hints and it's great to see that jesse the little amateur detective as he that he is like finally picks up on that he f- picks up on it and is able to like smartly convince them of like, hey, if you shoot me here, this is a really really bad idea. Like, there's yeah. no way out of this. And so, um, yeah, that's that's a that's a terrific scene for uh, for sure. It's 
I love Jesse's ability to kind of TV tropes his way out of situations. Just being like, just talking his way out of impossible situations by being like, no, wait, that's not how that works. And sort of playing armchair internet detective. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's kind of like, no, no, no. Like, even if it, even though it backfires with Robert Forster, like, the points he makes, like, make sense in the abstract. He's like, no, 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 dude. Like, they, you know, you don't hang up on a 911 call. You didn't actually make that call. Like, yeah, I no, love that thought it, process. It's a, And it's a valid point, like, if that was the case. But he clearly must not, you know, call whatever the local landline is. And that was <laughs> yeah. that was incredible. Um, should we talk? I mean, it, it's almost unavoidable. We should talk. Um, th- we should at least mention that, naturally, Walter White does make an appearance in this. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, is it, it's a season two flashback yeah i believe roughly. it's supposed to be four days out the episode where uh where walter sees this and i mentioned this in the cold open piece i did um where he sees this like his x-ray and he sees this big white blotch on his lungs he's like oh no things are so much worse i we have to like go to the desert and cook a million dollars worth of meth um so that way because I, I can i need to fast track this because i'm going to die sooner rather than later that's so right. this is what it, i think it's it's supposed to take place like the morning after they successfully do the cook and then because he mentions like how fast can you sell it he's like i don't know anybody with the spare 1.3 million you know right. uh, sitting around and and walt is like you know he's coughing up blood he's, he's he's hacking and everything and like we find out in that episode that like because that's another reason why he thinks he's dying quickly is because he's still like hacking up crazy stuff but that's just like a tear in his like lung or whatever that's just bleeding that's right because we find out soon that he was in remission uh, right after that right yep. it's just like residual things or whatever that he misinterpreted yeah for sure and but it it's um yeah i i guess i wasn't i wasn't surprised it just seemed naturally that there would be a flashback with yeah. him in it um and i like that little like ex- the exchange that they have because so many of i mean there have been great exchanges with them throughout the season but there there's a lot of like verbal abuse that came down from walt throughout the course of the series towards jesse and it was a nice genuine moment of like you know is that foreshadowing or potential foreshadowing that vince gilligan is so good about because he talks about like hey like you should go back to college you should go into business like it's Mm -hmm. similarly to that like internet armchair detective thing that you were referring to it's like hey you have a knack for this you're like street smart um and then of course undercut by a great joke of like you gotta get your ged he's like uh i graduated (laughs) high school dick you were there yeah no i love that and that was that was the scene i was talking about too like being paul being able to slip so effortlessly into season two jesse and that's another thing i wanted to touch on too with that and with him and todd and all these other actors this is six years after the show ended they look very different these actors but i appreciated that vince gilligan didn't try to do any weird tricks to like make them seem like they were the same age like because i think immediately after breaking bad you know jesse plemons gained a little weight and so at first like when we first see todd for instance they're filming him through these bars and i'm like oh no yeah they're gonna try to like obscure like it's like when actresses get like pregnant and they don't want to have they want to hide that so they like put them behind boxes or something yeah I Um, i thought of uh what is it uh wet hot american summer first day of camp yeah, like, Michael Walter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where they like, but like they did but that they as just a embrace joke. It. Yeah, 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 exactly. Where, but they they do embrace it, and honestly, it's 
it becomes le- it's less distracting that they do embrace it because right but because he's even though yeah Clemens does look a little bit different he slips so easily back into that character I never yeah. feel for a second that I'm like oh I'm not watching Todd like I'm I'm watching him play this character right and if you're focusing on that and if that takes you out of it you're focusing on the wrong things yes absolutely <laughs> right <laughs> that is true. um but going back to the the scene the scene in the diner with Walt I do think it's it's this wonderful moment of warmth and I think it really ties in nicely with again the themes of the movie it's I, I love Walt's sentiment that um that he's really lucky that he gets to do something special so early in his life so, or right. something like that I'm paraphrasing but um yeah, you didn't have to wait your whole life to do something special. And there is such a bittersweet quality to it because look at what happened to Jesse because of it. But also there is this sense that like he is stronger on the other side of these experiences at the very least. Absolutely. Yeah, no, for sure. Sorry. It's I'm um <laughs> the coffee's still kicking in for this episode for <laughs> this sure. But no, Sunday morning talking Sunday about breaking bad. But it's it's uh no, it's it's incredibly rich. Um I'm trying to think of the other there was another cameo I wanted to bring up. Oh, it um Jane uh appears yeah. towards the end. Like I which I didn't expect. It's very brief. Um, yeah. but I, I feel like that was another one that I'm like, oh, I like, I forgot about this character and here's another one to add to that. <laughs> Definitely add to that, that guilt. Right. Um, and the exchange they have, cause it's pretty much the last exchange in the, in the movie too. And I think mm-hmm. it's, it's sort of poignant in terms of, you know, Jane talks about fate basically and talks about how you kind of shouldn't wait for the universe to open up for you. You do have to sort of forge your own path. And I think a little bit of that is what El Camino is about. Whereas, you know, Jesse in the show, he makes his decisions absolutely, but he is sort of um, beholden to the whims of Walter White. Like, you know, even, even the fate of his and Jane's relationship is because of Walt. And so, so much, so many of the bad things that have happened to him are not due to his choice. And so he's been, you know, whipped to and fro by the winds of fate or what have you. And it feels like El Camino, he is there at his most, self-reliant and self-assured albeit with the help of badger and skinny pete who i was uh, i was delighted to see and they're so good (laughs) they're so sweet like one of my thoughts was like you know i know they deal meth and i know they they do drugs but i i want friends as as loyal and resolute as badger and skinny pete in my life the second Uh, they show up so sweet yeah, the, the it was like a warm blanket. Like the the first <laughs> yeah. scene that they're in, and they're like playing Xbox and shit talking each other. I'm like, this is oh, this feels right. This yeah. feels right back at it. And Church, they're wonderful. Yo. Yeah, they, yeah, they're wonderful. They they yeah they they help. They give Jesse that little boost to be able to to get on. And that's another thing I really liked about this movie as well. Um, in like this the scene where they they give him a different car they leave the el camino over it there because it has the tracking device i love that we never revisit that because yeah. the movie's so focused on just well, because you know what journey. happened it's, it's it's genius like the first trailer we saw for that is skinny pete in the interrogation room talking about jesse in the el camino right right and so they they're like we don't need to see that because that's not important like imagine using supplementary promotional material to flesh out the story so you don't need to tell it in the movie that's it's it's impressive for sure and i feel like that's something you could only do in this in the streaming era like something that you could like take a chance on like that if it was if it was on a network or if it was a movie that was playing in theaters it's like you'd have to pretty much 
advertise it exactly as is but i you know i feel like that was a chance that they were able to take with this being on netflix and so that that was really cool that that didn't end up in the movie that it was just a, the promotional uh, material yeah it, overall it it impressed me and and also the other thing i in reference to badger and skinny pete i, I might have mentioned this on the top uh, and maybe I didn't, but and and forgive me, listeners, if I'm repeating myself. But I, it never felt like a checklist, which was right. really really nice. It's like yes, we see familiar faces, living or dead, but it never felt like and we have to have this character, and we have to have this character, and we have to have this character. It felt very much like Vince Gilligan and Aaron Paul knew exactly what story they wanted to tell. They mapped it up smartly. And they did, they, they introduced whoever they needed to reintroduce, but they didn't spend a lot of time on it. And it isn't like, it isn't like any like aha moments. Like there's no Bohemian Rhapsody coming up with the baseline for another one bites dust moments in this Yeah, movie. it's you not know, like Rogue it, One where like Dr. Evazan shows up on some other planet that's right. like a week before he's supposed to be on Tatooine just because like the fans wanted it. Exactly. <laughs> or Blue Milk or the You'll Be right. Dead guy. Like none of that stuff. There is like, a Magnets reference. That was... Yeah, that, felt, it, that was cute. That was cute. And it was about the only thing that felt shoehorned. Like everything else felt very important like i don't know if important is the right word but it felt necessary to the story that they were telling yeah when you revisited a character or a scenario it's because the characters in the story went there it didn't like come across it you know exactly yeah and that was that was refreshing because i that might have been my biggest worry when this project was announced i'm like oh no that's not gonna like you said not gonna rogue one it (laughs) or anything like that and and it doesn't and and you know i think that shows a lot of restraint and that shows where where Vince Gilligan's head is at, as opposed to like coming up with some sort of fan servicey thing. He's like, no, this is a good story we want to tell. And they right. told it. Yeah. Remind me, did we see Jesse's parents in the show proper? I can't remember. Yes, we did. Yeah. And it was early on because he does go to see them. And I'm trying to remember the exact context of which it was, but it's, it's early on. It's, it's, I want to say season two. Mm-hmm. and that's about it and i'm glad you brought that up because that's another thing i like that i think is a strength to this movie and, and it becomes clear in the scenes with them too that it's like he is he is saying goodbye he is ostensibly saying goodbye to everybody like this yeah. isn't just a journey like his journey to to get the money that he needs and start a new life but he's like he's going back and saying goodbye to the people who are important to him and even though um, you know, the, the relationship with his parents is a bit tumultuous. He still is like, I, you know, you're my parents. You I'm did your like, best. Yeah. You did. You have best. to let the past die, Ryan. Yeah. Kill it if you have to. <laughs> Kill it if you have to. Man, there's so many Star Wars references in Breaking <laughs> yeah, right. Bad. I had no idea. Right. <laughs> and which is funny because I, on my second time through, cause I'm also a huge Star Trek nerd. I saw that skinny, skinny beaten badger have like a model of the Excelsior behind them when they're playing video games. I didn't even notice. Yeah. I have to go back and watch that. That's awesome. such a specific little Easter egg. Yeah. That's so cool. Um, do you have any other thoughts on El Camino before we start to wrap this episode up? Oh, that's a good question. I've, I've, thought that i did but then i think maybe i just said it oh fair enough <laughs> the thing. i don't know um yeah no other than that like it's it's just again like it feels 
it, it it's so interesting to see a movie that is so unconcerned with people who aren't already on Breaking Bad's wavelength, and I think it works to the film's credit. Like it knows its audience, it knows what it needs, it knows what story it needs to tell. It's not like Downton Abbey where like you have to have a recap of the show before you jump into the movie. Um, and I think this is the right way to do kind of a movie continuation of a TV show. For sure. And I, I, I'm curious, too, I guess one thing, maybe in the grand scheme of things, um, is, like, would, if we weren't in the, you know, this era of streaming where sort of anything is possible, if this would have ever made it theatrically if somebody would have made this and actually released it theatrically yeah um, i will say in chicago they're screening it at the music box theater but i think all the screenings are sold out oh that doesn't surprise me in (laughs) in seattle they are playing it at i don't remember the theater off the top of my head but they were only doing it for the weekend so doesn't matter by the time you listen to this if you're in seattle it's it's not there anymore right right Um, oh i did have one last thought that landlord can we watch an entire TV show about that landlord guy? Oh my god, that that is, uh, I feel like that whole like the apartment scene, which I know we talked about at length, uh-huh. um, which I don't think we connected the dots from the non-spoiler to spoiler section. Oh, that yeah, yeah. is where that overhead montage that you were talking about uh, takes place. Because he's looking for the money he saw that Todd showed him before, and that's mm-hmm. why we get the flashback because he knows to go to the money because he needs the money to get the new life. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But I feel like that scene, it, you know, middle of the movie, best culmination of what Breaking Bad can offer. You have your montage, you have your moments of tension, also tension undercut by Gallo's humor, thankfully by yeah. that landlord. It, it's, oh, it's so good. <laughs> yeah, so I love good. it so much. It's a killer set piece. Yeah, it's wonderful. It's 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 one of the best of the film, other than maybe the, the climactic one in the, the junkyard, for sure. Right, right. Um, also, what kind of asshole doesn't like pineapple? Oh my! I, <laughs> I was like, no, don't, don't stoke the fires of the 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 pineapple, uh, pineapple. I guess it's not a pizza, but the pineapple and pizza debate. Yeah, the great pineapple and pizza debate. We don't need any more discourse surrounding <laughs> what should and shouldn't be on a pizza. How so dare damn you, El Camino? Pizza gatekeepers. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, well, cool. I think I think we could probably put this this. Uh, this film to bed i it's we both recommend it it's streaming on netflix but like we said on top this is a you know this is for breaking bad fans only like it will not play well if you haven't seen the series luckily breaking bad is also on netflix so you can just binge that exactly and it's it's worth it it's 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 one of the greatest television dramas ever made. Like, yeah. there's, there's nothing I can add more to what people what people haven't already said about the series. If you haven't seen it, watch it. It has the acclaim for a reason. Exactly. Um, cool. Well, since we ran a little short before we wrap up, I figured I'd ask if there's anything you've seen this week um, that you want to recommend. Anything you've been watching that that you think people should should check out. Uh, this is a good question. I've been trying to jump in around because I'm also a film critic in addition to being a TV critic. So I have to like jump around and do a bunch of uh, I have to pull double duty, which is especially exhausting. Um, I did just file a review for the new Netflix series Living With Yourself, the one that has like Paul Rudd in a dual role. It's OK. I So I guess I, that's kind of an anti recommendation. <laughs> but um, I have been revisiting um, Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Uh, just because I on the on the heels of Aaron Eisenberg's uh, passing, he played uh, one of the more supporting characters on that show, and it's just it's amazing how 
great that slots into a post-peak TV era of serialization and focusing on characters. It's a really great kind of space opera. Um, in terms of new stuff, um, I've mostly just been keeping up week to week with Great British Baking Show. Um, <laughs> sorry, Bake Off. Except I don't know. They call it Baking Show now, and that makes me sad. Like even in the uh, uh, in the intros. But um, yeah, it's always it's always fun to watch people, you know, sort of bake things and in, in fancy clothes and be really nice to each other. Absolutely, that's just one of the most pleasant shows on television. It's like, yeah. it's it's nice to just put it on and and be like you know it, and it, that's the one thing that struck me when that first show first aired first came to the U.S. Where it's like you know if this was a, a American reality challenge show, you'd have so much like shit talking and like oh, and they tried the Great American Baking Show, and it turns out that realm of like pleasantness in an American context just rings as false. Yeah, and and that is very very true. I never watched the that version, but it I only lasted hold... a couple seasons. I think it was like Neo Vardalos and her husband hosting it. Oh, got it. Well, I'm glad this one's. And still now they're going. split up, so you know, love is dead. <laughs> Harsh but fair. Yeah. <laughs> oh, also, um, I'm excited for the Succession finale tonight. Oh, yes, I wanted to bring that up. I feel we might even. Uh, I don't. I don't want to overpromise anything to listeners, but we might even do a bonus episode about Ooh. the season two of Succession. Because, right. uh, yeah, because it's been. Yeah, it's been quite a ride, and I'm very, really very excited has. for that finale. Um, yeah, my my wife and I have just we we binge watched entire season one and got caught up on two, um, probably midway through it. And yeah, we've been kind of on pins and needles week to week. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of the it's one of the great shows that's running right now. Absolutely, could not recommend it more. That was one of the things I was gonna recommend, and uh, I, I guess for me. Similarly to like anti recommendation, um, I did see Gemini Man, which, uh, <laughs> which I'm sure by your laughter you also have. Um, uh, no, I've just heard the tales. Fun fact: in Chicago, they did not actually invite people; they only invited certain critics to that screening. Really? Yeah. That's, or like, oh, if you heard about the screening and you asked, you could like get the invite. But like, I just had someone else write it for my site. God, um, I hate I hate when stuff like that happens. Um, yeah, it's I, real weird and gatekeepy. I, I, yeah, for sure. I went to the, I w- did go to the one here in Seattle, although um, not to I, whoever said not to slander anybody, but uh, I guess uh, one of our fellow critics asked how it was being projected, and they said it was in high frame rate. Um, it it was not. It was <laughs> it was very much in twenty four and in, and in two D. Um, but honestly, I didn't like. I don't know if I'd so recommend it feel like it. you were in a circuit city. Uh, no, it didn't feel like I was in a circuit city. It didn't at all, actually. Uh, and maybe maybe that was the 120 frames being uh, projected at 24 maybe made it feel more filmic. I don't know. Um, but I, I don't know. I don't know if I'd recommend it, but I certainly don't have this like animosity towards it. I thought it was an interesting experiment. Um, you know, with this just new tech that's, it's still very new in its infancy and, and like, could it be something someday? Absolutely. It's not quite there, but as an experiment, uh, I found it fascinating and Ang Lee and, um, Will Smith are certainly giving it their all, um, with, with just a really rough script. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. The script is, I I don't think I've seen the Jerry Bruckheimer logo not in a Pirates of the Caribbean movie in (laughs) forever. And so that was strange seeing it. And then it's like, oh, this was in a drawer in his office for like 20 plus years. Yeah. uh, And it kind of plays like that. That was the impression I got. It felt like it was probably like a mid to late 90s kind of uh, high concept clone thriller, like the sixth day. 
that kind oh, of thing. That's a good that's a good comparison. Uh, and I thought it would be more. Oh, I'm trying to think. I thought it'd be more like Terminator the way that it was sort of advertised. But and I don't I don't even want to bring this movie up because I feel like it it creates comparisons that aren't there but it was it was more face off i feel like not uh-huh. as good not even remotely as good as face was off. it loopery at all because the premise seems very loopery uh i mean kind of but ultimately not really um uh-huh. i i'm i'm trying to i guess i guess it's in the plot synopsis and it wouldn't be like a spoiler i i for yeah. people it's the it's, selling point right yeah there there's no time travel involved oh let me just say that and so um so that sort of a little bit negates Looper and okay. Terminator to a degree, but the older self facing younger self thing is is a little loopery, but also uh-huh. not as good, for sure. I guess uh, another recommendation that just came to mind, going back to the idea of Netflix original movies, something's going to come out in a couple weeks that I'm real excited for because I've seen it and it's great. Dolomite is my name. Yes. It's um, so fun. It's really fun. I, I'm trying not to bury my lead because we probably will do an episode on it. Okay. Um, but I also have seen it and uh, highly, delight. highly recommend it. Yes, it's such a delight. It's I didn't know how bad I needed to hear Eddie Murphy say motherfucker on the big screen <laughs> again. But the second he does, and it's like one of the first lines in the movie, I'm like, oh, this I'm home. This just feels right. <laughs> right. And to circle, come full circle, I will be doing a guide to Rudy Ray Moore films on Consequence of Sound, I believe, sometime this next week uh, in time for Dolomite to come out. So if you oh. want to know about the real Rudy Ray Moore and some of his film output, it's great. Disco Godfather is like a formative text for me. Oh, I was going to ask you, um, number one, I'm excited for that piece, but I was going to ask you what your favorite uh, Rudy Ray Moore movie was. And yeah, that it's that one. Like... And I, f- weirdly enough, I haven't seen the actual Dolomite movies. It's like, I've seen that and I've seen most of Petey Wheatstraw, The Devil's Son-in-Law. <laughs> I love Petey Wheatstraw. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> that one's probably my favorite. Um, but I, Human Tornado is a close second, which is the yeah. second Dolomite movie. But yeah, I plan to catch up before I do this this piece, but I'm really excited. Awesome. No, those are those are great ones to catch up with. Um, well, cool. Clint, thank you so much for coming on the show. And again, go- great work on the, the cold open piece. Like I said, we we were kind of at a standstill of what to do um, this week on the discourse because uh, our friends over at the Be Real podcast on the, the Playlist Podcast Network are going to be doing a, um, which is a genre hopping podcast where they examine uh, usually two to three films that have similar DNA. Um, they're doing a fighting with myself pairing of <laughs> Gemini man and fight club. So, uh, as I kind of mentioned to you off mic, there was no need for two podcasts dedicated to Gemini man <laughs> on our feed. Right. Um, and then the, the other pickings were pretty slim. Adam's family movie. Eh, yeah. Not, I didn't mm. see it, but not, not something really to cover. Uh, Jexy, which I still don't believe is an actual movie I, that exists. Same, same, right? <laughs> I saw the trailer in front of Hustlers, and I was like, "This, this isn't this real. Is not What's real, this a commercial right? for?" <laughs> yeah, exactly. It just doesn't feel right. And and uh, as of this morning, as a recording, I think the box office reflects it. It tanked pretty badly. <laughs> is it doing uh, like fanatic numbers, or it's like three thousand dollars? Not that bad because no. of the sheer volume of of uh, screens that it's on, right. but it made like two to three mil like million like that's for, for like a 2000 screen release that's real real bad i got buried it got buried pretty horribly and then just in we, time for awards season yeah i can't wait till i get that screener of jexy oh boy on immediately. and then i think the last thing we were 
mulling around covering, which we are going to cover, but uh, if you don't live in New York and L.A. or attended a fall festival, Parasite is not available to you. Yeah, I cannot wait to see that. We still don't know when it's going to screen this week for Chicago audiences, and it's going to come out this next Friday. Oh, wow. You guys, damn. I know. Same in Seattle. We it come it it does come out the twenty fifth for us, but like we there's a bunch of screenings coming up in between those two weeks, uh, so the days are getting pretty full, and we still don't have a, a screening yet for yeah. Parasites. And this is the week that the Chicago International Film Fest uh, ramps up this week, so I'm gonna be my nose is gonna be down in PNI screenings all day, all week, and so it's oh, gonna geez. I'm gonna have to slot Parasite in alongside that and Zombieland Double Tap. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm. It might be fine. It might be yeah, fine. Totally. I, I it's it's it, this may sound corny and we may review it on the show, I'm not sure. Um I feel like I'm like the only person in our circles actually in, excited for that movie, though the first Zombieland was my wife and I's first date oh, 10 years wow. ago. So, we're we're excited to go see it cuz it's like, oh, it's been 10 years. We've been together 10 years. Um so like that has a little bit of like uh sentimental pull, but Yeah. You know, I don't know how hopeful I am for the movie itself, but I, I am still excited to see it. Yeah, why not? Yeah, absolutely. Well, awesome. Thank you again. Uh, I cannot thank you enough for coming on the show. Clint, where can people find more of your work in the meantime? Uh, sure, you can find me on Twitter at Clint Worthing, where I will incessantly post about all the stuff I'm doing. Um, uh, you can find some of my writing at thespool.net, the site I run, but I honestly spend more time editing other people's stuff there than I do writing stuff on my own. But you can also find my written work at Consequence of Sound, where I'm a senior writer for film and TV. You can also find uh, my dulcet tones, my dulcet stammer tones on uh, various and sundry podcasts, including Nathan Rabin's Happy Cast, um, which you can find at NathanRabin.com. Fun fact, a bit of an exclusive, we may be rebranding, well, we will be rebranding in November to a John Travolta, Nicolas Cage-focused podcast called Travolta slash Cage, in which we posit that Face Off is the greatest motion picture of all time and sort of work our way backwards to um, chronologically through John Travolta and Nicolas Cage's filmographies to sort of see how these two very unique movie stars got their start and like you know worked through the trajectory of their career which i'm very interested in and then for the spool i have two other podcasts a weekly interview podcast called more of a comment really and a monthly tv podcast called hall of faces where myself allison shoemaker and a panel of other tv critics we talk about a different show each month and we pick a character from that show to be elected to our vaunted pantheon of of great tv characters well, awesome. That is a lot of places a lot. That people could check I you out. I ran out of breath doing it all. <laughs> <laughs> well, I recommend people do it, and I cannot wait for the rebranding of Nathan Raven's Happy yeah, yeah. Cast. And um, on Hall of Faces, we're going to do the West Wing. So if you want to find out who the greatest ooh. character on the West Wing is, uh, tune in at the end of this month. Cannot wait. That is also one of my favorite shows of all time. So I will have to check that out. And once again, before we wrap this episode up, uh, the Discourse is a part of the Playlist Podcast Network. So if you enjoy the show, be sure to subscribe to our feed via your podcatcher of choice, be it Stitcher, be it SoundCloud, Anchor FM, Spotify, iTunes, or iHeartRadio. And you'll get this show as well as our other programs, including Be Real, Indie Beat, The Fourth Wall, or any of the other programs that tend to pop up on our feed from time to time. To our listeners, thank you, and we'll catch you on the next episode. 3 a.m. I'm awakened by sweet summer rain Distant howling of a passing Southbound cold train Was I dreaming 
sun.